Just as two weeks ago, it seemed appropriate to preach a special message for Father's Day. We're so close to 4th of July, and I know that's on many people's minds. And I want to help you to think biblically and Christianly about tomorrow's celebration. Just over 200 years ago, our forefathers declared independence from a far-away, oppressive, unaccountable, unelected, sovereign ruler in Great Britain. A few days ago, ironically, Great Britain declared independence from a far-away, oppressive, unaccountable, unelected, sovereign council in Brussels. Took, took them a couple hundred years, but they finally figured out what our beef was, right? <laughs> Sadly, though, at the dawn of human civilization, the first man and woman declared independence from what they were tempted to believe was an oppressive, unaccountable, unelected sovereign ruler of the universe. And ever since, the sons and daughters of Adam have been striving for some kind of freedom by declaring independence from God. The devil tempted Adam and Eve to believe that true freedom is only to be found in complete individual autonomy, including the right to declare one's own truth about reality and morality. It's a a bad independence day in Genesis 3. As we prepare to celebrate Independence Day tomorrow, it is important to stop and reflect upon the biblical definition of freedom. We love the word freedom. We agree it's a good thing. But it's important to stop and carefully define what is freedom. Because our Bible tells us that we're to be slaves of Christ. Which, for Americans who cherish freedom, that's a, that's a difficult message to hear. Today we celebrate the Independence Day for uh, Martin. Freedom from the penalty and power of sin. For when the Son of God sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Martin is free now in the spiritual sense of the word, which is the truest and most pure form of freedom. Because any freedoms we have here politically are temporary. What's the point in being free politically if you're in bondage to sin and doomed for eternal separation from God, which is no freedom at all? Where did we get to this point? A quick history lesson. At the beginning of the 19th century, so the 1800s, the Enlightenment movement promised to answer all of life's biggest questions and solve the world's greatest problems through the means of human ingenuity. That's why they call it the Enlightenment, that finally we'd have the light, the truth. Except instead of the light coming from God and from His Word, the truth would come from human ingenuity. We were told that we no longer needed a God to reveal truth to us. Science would become our God. The entire universe and everything it means to be human could be explained in purely materialistic, naturalistic terms. They told us there really is no spiritual realm, and man thought he would finally be free, free from a guilty conscience, 
free to pursue his lusts without fear of judgment. The Enlightenment led to the age of modernism, which turned out to be a a great disappointment. It turns out that there are certain philosophical and existential questions that science just can't answer. They said we could answer it with science, but there's deeper things, deeper questions that science just can't answer. What is life? What is the meaning of life? What happens after I die? Is there purpose in life? Science can't answer these things. It was never intended to answer these questions. So during the 1960s, the age of postmodernism, post after modernism, was uh, formed. It washed over Western civilization. The new promise was much like the old, with the exception that instead of trying to answer all the questions with science, we could now just make up our own answers as individuals. And whatever's true to you is true to you, if you believe it with all your heart. The answers really don't matter because there are no absolute moral and philosophical truths. And even if there are, we probably can't know them. This is the spirit of postmodernism. Sounds very freeing to be able to believe whatever you want to believe, but what if what you believe isn't really true? Is that freeing? Sounds like a form of bondage to me. To believe in something false and to put all your hopes in something false. Postmodernism is turning out to be a flop as well. We're turning the corner. But when you've told an entire generation or two that there's no absolute truth, what do you have left? Where do you go from there? All these new philosophies promising freedom have only delivered bondage. Really, bondage to self. Self-identity, self-expression, self-actualization, self-fulfillment. These are the words that we hear coming from the movers and shakers in our culture. It's all about self, self-expression, self-identity, self-fulfillment, self-actualization. Self, 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 self. Sounds rather selfish, doesn't it? What promised happiness has only delivered a depression and and anger and war and murder and racism and disillusionment and hopelessness and drug addiction addiction and suicide, not the freedom and prosperity and happiness and satisfaction that was promised. However, much of the elite in the West persist that the solution to all our woes is to get rid of God and replace his truth with anything else. Currently, we find ourselves in a truth vacuum. Post-modernity has decimated all the traditional repositories of truth, all the place where we could go to find truth. Churches, universities, families. And so the regular places people used to go to find truth have been emptied of truth by and large. But a funny thing, it turns out that you can't live without truth. So in the age of mass communication, everyone now is competing to fill the void with some version of truth. And everybody's got a platform with the internet. It's it's a wonderful thing and a scary thing simultaneously. Because the devil has always been trying to fill the world with lies. And now he has the means to almost be omnipresent. In our sermon today, we're going to meet some people in Jesus' day that thought they were 
the keepers and guardians of truth. And they thought they were truly free because of their heritage and their good works. You know them as the Pharisees. They were not much different from the intellectual elites of our day. And Jesus reveals to them the true nature of freedom and how to really be free. So we're going to start in John chapter 8, verse 12. So Jesus is speaking to the crowd, uh, directly to the Pharisees in the crowd. And he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And we're so used to hearing these words and Jesus calling himself the light of the world. And that's precious truth to us as believers. But take a moment and stop and think about the audacity of that claim. Here's this carpenter's son from Nazareth, a a nobody from nowhere by human perspective, standing up in front of a crowd and claiming that he's the light of the world, the, the light of the cosmos, the, the universe, the source of truth for the whole universe, Jesus, Joseph the carpenter's son from Nowheresville. And so the Pharisee said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. You, you can't make that claim about yourself. It must be made by two or three witnesses. And yet, how, how do you find two or three witnesses to testify that you are the light of the world? Now, what's really going on here is the Pharisees are upset because they think they're the light of the world. Now, they would never come out and say that, but they're the arbiters of truth, the keepers of truth, the determiners of truth, the explainers of truth. Yes, they had the Old Testament scriptures, but we know historically that they really mangled the scriptures. They missed the whole point of needing God to be gracious to sinners. They thought... The way to please God was by keeping his law perfectly. And they thought they kept the law perfectly. So much so that they added to the law as if there weren't enough laws already in the law of Moses. And this gave them the position of power and authority and prestige in their community. The whole community centered around the synagogue and religious life. And that made these the top dogs. When they spoke, people had to listen. Because they spoke for God. It made them important, powerful, rich, influential. They were with the A-list, the in-crowd, the movers and shakers, the, the good parties, the important seats at the tables. When they walked through town, people paused and paid some kind of homage to them as they walked by. And here comes this Galilean carpenter angling in on their their authority and their prominence. And so confrontation ensues. 
Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. This is an insult in a very Hebrew kind of way. You You don't know your own coming and going. That would be a euphemism for you really understand what's going on in the world. And we kind of say that in our own language. You know, I, I understand the comings and goings of life. And he says, I know where I came from and where I am going. Which is a bold truth statement. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I'm not judging anyone. Uh, He means, I don't judge anyone by the way you judge. He doesn't need to judge according to the flesh because he's God. Man can only judge things apart from God according to things that man can understand, touch, feel, experience. But how can man speak with any authority on spiritual things or the origin of the universe or what happens after you die? These are questions man cannot speak with authority on on his own human terms. They're beyond human understanding. They must be revealed to us. And so Jesus says, you judge according to the flesh. I don't do that. I don't need to do that. Even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I am the Father who sent me. Even in your law, not to mean that it's not Jesus' law, but he's just pointing out, hey, even in your own book that you say is your authority, it says that it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. And so Jesus is saying, my truth claims are true because I and the Father give testimony. Those are the only... The only people who can give testimony about God is God himself. Who's above God that could give testimony of God? Um, unbelievers, when they say, well, that's, that's circular reasoning. You can't use the Bible to prove that the Bible's true. You can't use the Bible to prove God is real. He calls it the crackers in the pantry fallacy. How do you prove that if I said there's crackers in the back pantry, how would you prove that's true? You'd get up from your seat, you'd go back, open the pantry, and see if there's crackers in there. But God is not material. He's spiritual. So you can't prove that God exists in the same ways that we prove that material things exist. You need the testimony of someone who can testify that God really is who he says he is, and that would only be the persons of the Trinity. You heard in Martin's testimony today, testimonies are important because they remind us of our own salvation and they may even inspire someone to look into the truth claims of the Bible. But what Martin said isn't true because Martin said it, no matter how much Martin believes it. And Martin himself said in his testimony that the Word of God and the Holy Spirit testify to him that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I can tell him that, you can tell him that, but at the end of the day, the only thing that is going to make that absolutely true for Martin is if God himself testifies to Martin. So we speak the gospel, but it's the Holy Spirit and the Word of God 
that makes the gospel true and changes the heart. Be careful when you're evangelizing that you don't just give people your personal testimony. Because at the end of the day, they can say, well, that was really neat for you. But I don't drive a truck. Driving a truck had nothing to do with Martin's salvation. It just happens to be the place where he was when God opened his spiritual eyes to the truth. And he was hearing the word of God on some kind of Bible app. The word of God, the Holy Spirit, gave testimony. And he said, now I believe Jesus is the Son of God. So they were saying to him, where is your father? Where is this father you're talking about? Bring him out so he can testify. Because they're thinking earthly terms. Of course, Jesus is talking about his heavenly father. And he says, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Why is that in there? Because to say, if you knew me, you'd know the Father, is getting awfully close to saying, I'm God. And when you say, I am the light of the world, and in Greek you say, ego, a me, I am, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, in that passage where God reveals himself to Moses and he says, my name is I am, the words in Greek are ego, a me. It's redundant to use the pronoun ego because the verb ami already means I am. Nobody walks around saying ego ami in ancient Greece, in ancient Rome, in ancient Israel. You put ego ami together and you're treading on holy ground. And he says eight or nine different times in the Gospel of John, Ego, Ami, I am the good shepherd, I am the door, I am the way, the truth, the life. Then he said again to them, I, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. You can't follow Jesus to where he's going in sin. You must have your sins forgiven. You must be cleansed. Now, these are the people, again, who thought they were the arbiters of truth and they thought they knew the way to the Father. Where Abraham's children, so by heritage, were already God's chosen people and we keep the law perfectly. And here you have this man claiming that they have it all wrong and that where he's going they can't follow because they're going to die in their sins. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot, you cannot come. They're just not tracking because they're spiritually dead. And he was saying to them, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Wow. It's getting heated now, people. So they were saying to him, who, who are you? Who do you think you are? It, it wasn't like an honest, well, who are you? Who? Who are you? Who are you to be saying these things? Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? 
sanctified sarcasm. Hello? I've been ministering for years now, performing miracles and telling you where I come from and what the source of my miracles are. I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these things I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, the Son of Man is a messianic title from the book of Daniel. The Son of Man. He's claiming to be the Messiah. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. Let's stop there for a second. If the world thinks that true freedom is having ultimate personal autonomy to do whatever I want to do and think whatever I want to think, then what Jesus is teaching here is a radically different form of freedom because even Jesus himself, the second person of the Trinity, is saying, I don't do anything on my own initiative. That doesn't sound like freedom to us. But does anyone in this room want to say Jesus wasn't free? That the Son of God wasn't free? If he's not free, nobody is. And he said, I only speak the things that my father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Not, I always do the things that are pleasing to me. That's our world. That's our culture. That's true freedom. Do the things that are pleasing to you. Jesus said, I only do the things that are pleasing to my father. And as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, because their profession of faith may not be true. And in fact, we're going to see that many of the people who said they believed in him fell away. He says, if you continue, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Now this is too much for the Pharisees to handle because their belief was that being sons of Abraham made them spiritually free. Just by the fact that they had a pure lineage traced back to Father Abraham. And so they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, or or your Bible might say seed or offspring, and have never yet been enslaved to anyone, which is a curious statement considering they're enslaved to Rome at the time. And as we've been seeing from the Old Testament, the Jews have been enslaved by just about everybody, Babylon and, and Persia and Egypt Everybody's kind of taken their turn enslaving them. But in their minds, at the end of the day, because God chose Abraham to be the father of the chosen race, then by heritage, they are free just by birthright. So they say, how is it that you say you will become free? 
Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Now we've cut to the chase. Whenever Jesus says truly, truly, or amen, amen, he's got something really important to say. Everything Jesus said is truth. But occasionally he gets to a line that is so important that he has to preface it with, are you listening? Truly, truly, don't miss this. Reminds me of, um, who's the preacher in Atlanta? Charles Stanley. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Now, who commits sin? Everyone. Therefore, everyone is in slavery and nobody is truly free. The slave does not remain in the house forever. A slave may be treated well and treated like a son, but they have no legal rights. However, the the son remains forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know you've heard those verses before. Here's the context. Maybe you never saw those verses in context. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me. Explain that. Because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, well, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, if you were truly Abraham's children, you would be doing the deeds of Abraham. What did Abraham do? He believed in God. He trusted God. God said, go, and he went. And God said, sacrifice your only son to me. And Abraham obeyed. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. This is most certainly a backhanded slap in the face to Jesus because of the circumstances surrounding his birth. His, the virgin birth. The community would not have believed in a virgin birth. They would have assumed that Mary had fornicated. And so they're insulting Jesus. Hey, we know how we were born. We weren't born of fornication like someone we know around here. Jesus said to them, by the way, isn't this the way things go when the other side can no longer answer honest questions, they resort to name-calling. We call that an ad hominem attack. Ad against hominem, the man. Against the man. You're not attacking my argument anymore. You're just attacking me because you don't have an answer for the argument. 
Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. Ouch. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. And because he tempted Adam and Eve to fall into sin, and by sinning, Adam and Eve plunged the whole human race into sin, by extension, outside of Christ, that makes unbelievers, sons and daughters of the devil. They do his bidding. They, they see the world the way the devil sees it. They want to interpret the world on their own. They want to be their own authority. They don't love the word of God. They, they hate God and they want to make him go away. And right now, your own California legislature is trying to pass a bill that would pretty much wipe out Christian universities in this state. It just got through the Judiciary Committee. It's not enough to just let them have their own university and teach their truth. There can be no competition for the truth, quote-unquote truth, that the secular humanists, the elite, the academic elites, they're the, they're the Pharisees of our day and age. The, the new religion is secular humanism, they're the, they're the priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. They're leaving the churches alone right now, and they, they, they're going to leave alone the seminaries. The bill is written that if you're training vocational pastors, you'll be left alone. But if you're just an institute of higher education, this, this bill would pretty much make it impossible to run a truly Christian campus. You couldn't you couldn't require students to go to chapel. You couldn't require the professors or even the president of the university to actually be a Christian. So call your congressman, call your state senator, your assembly person. The name of the bill is... You know, they don't even name these things. They number them so they can just slip them under the radar. SB 1146. SB 1146. They'll start with the universities and then they'll go after the churches. Next, going after a church sounds like you're killing religious freedom. And right now, Americans wouldn't stand for such a thing. But what do you think attacking Christian universities is? If that's not an attack on religious freedom, I don't know what is. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? You know, if, if I'm a sinner and a habitual public sinner, then don't believe a word I'm saying. But one of you, which one convicts me of sin? They couldn't and they didn't even at his trial. The only thing they convicted him of was calling himself equal with God, which was true. So they killed him for blasphemy. 
He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and you have a demon? They called him a Samaritan because even Samaritans were believed by the Pharisees to not be children of God because they were half-breed. They were half-Jewish, half-something else. And so it was an insult to call someone a Samaritan. And they couldn't understand how he was able to do miracles, so they said he must have some kind of demon that's empowering him to do miracles. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And by death, he means eternal separation from God. Now, that's an over-the-top audacious statement if anyone other than Jesus Christ made that statement we would laugh him off but they're beyond laughing him off now people are following him and this is getting serious the Jews said to him now we know that you have a demon because Abraham died and the prophets also and you say if anyone keeps my word he will never taste death the prophets kept God's word Abraham kept God's word and and they died Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Who do you make yourself out to be? Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not even 50 years old yet, and and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself And went out of the temple. Don't let anyone ever tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. That's as clear a statement of divinity as you will find anywhere in the Bible. I'm concerned about our freedom as Americans as much as the next guy. I love this country. I am grateful to be an American. I'm grateful for those who fought for the freedoms we enjoy. I'm worried about us losing those freedoms. I like to celebrate the 4th of July. It's one of my favorite holidays. But first and foremost, I am a citizen of heaven. I am far more excited to celebrate my true Independence Day, the day I received Christ as Lord and Savior in 1999. Nobody can ever take that freedom away from me. You heard Martin confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and you see how happy he is to be set free For the last 17 years, Jesus has been teaching me that true freedom, true freedom is to be found only when you realize that there is no such thing as complete human autonomy. If that's your definition of freedom, you will never find it. You are setting yourself up for failure and misery. 
Only God is completely autonomous. And even he's three persons in one, and the members of the Trinity submit to one another. They are the source of all truth and life and goodness. The rest of us find our life and existence and meaning in God. So in that sense, we are not free. We're completely dependent on God. This is why mankind is so lost trying to be free apart from God. It won't work. The world sees obedience to God as the worst possible kind of slavery. And so they're trying to get rid of God. They believe that true freedom is to be your own God. And true freedom from a guilty conscience can only be found by eliminating God. This, this is why when they said, if you just let us be, we would leave you alone. They're not leaving us alone. They won't rest until God is completely, the God of the Bible is completely removed from the public marketplace of ideas. The key is not to get out of slavery, but to whom you will be a slave to. We're all slaves. Outside of Christ, we are in bondage to sin. Through faith, we become slaves of Christ. And then and only then do we become truly free. We become free from the power and the penalty of sin. Free to love God. Free to worship Him. Free to follow Him. Free to acknowledge His truth as the only real truth. This is true freedom. It's one of the great paradoxes of the Bible. In order to be truly free, you must become a slave. Twenty years ago, July 6th, I married Jennifer. (laughs) The love of my life. And the world would say that I became less free that day. But it has been my experience that through marriage I have discovered a better freedom. I am becoming free from the bondage of selfishness. I am free to love and be loved. I am free to enjoy my wife as a gift from God for who she is right now and not for what I think she should be or do for me. I am free to be truly happy. This is why marriage is intended to be a picture of our relationship with Christ. We are the bride and he is the groom. When we become betrothed to Christ, we are set free from the bondage of sin and we become slaves to righteousness. We haven't lost freedom. We've actually gained true freedom. A couple of days before my wedding, my friends took me to see Independence Day. Remember that movie? I think a new version's coming out. I remember them teasing me that it was ironic that my wedding was so close to the 4th of July. They said I would always be reminded of the day I lost my freedom. (laughs) But as a Christian, the 4th of July reminds me of what it truly means to be free. 200 years ago, our forefathers so believed in political freedom that they were willing to shed their own blood for it. But 2,000 years ago, our Heavenly Father believed that spiritual freedom was worth shedding the precious blood of His Son. As much as I treasure my freedom as an American, it means nothing if my soul is still in bondage to sin. As a Christian, my anniversary reminds me that God's definition of freedom is much more glorious than the world's definition. I am a slave to love, and I am truly free.
So to all my fellow slaves in Christ, happy Independence Day. And to anyone who thinks they are free because they don't have to submit to God, you, my friend, are the least free person in the world. And to you, I say, come to Jesus. Become a slave of Christ. Come to the way, the truth, and the life, and He will make you free indeed. Father God, that is our prayer. Make sinners in bondage to sin free through faith in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.